0: hear now the word of the Lord. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And Paul stretched out his hand and he made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it's before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from, my, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They've known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, that I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O King, Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and raging fury against them. I persecuted even them to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. And at midday, O King, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles into whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. And Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational word. For the king knows about these things, and I speak to him boldly. For I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to become a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long. I would, to God, not, that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, well, before I, I pray, uh, a quick announcement. Uh, two weeks from this Sunday, we will have our congregational meeting. And on the back table by the offering and gift box is a packet both detailing our budget and kind of an overview of the budget as well as the details of the budget, and uh, candidates for elders that we will vote on in that congregational meeting in two weeks. And so feel free, uh, grab the packet, take a look. It's also on our website. If you're not a paper person, uh, you can find that on our website as well. Um, well, with that, uh, if you could turn to Acts 26, we are. Uh, I will pray for us, and then we'll unpack uh, the speech that we just read from Paul. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to your word and to your, your son, Jesus. And we pray that, God, as we open your word, we would, we would encounter you through that. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if I wasn't a pastor, I, I probably would have been a lawyer. And I don't know why, but it might have been because when I was growing up, I, I loved the show Matlock. I don't know. This is like I heard. A, I heard a yes. So I'm all right. There's at least one person with me in the room. Uh, but I grew up and like whenever I was sick, Channel Four Indiana, just like Matlock was like that was their that was their deal. It was just on all day, and so that's what I watched. And I, I don't I don't know why, because it wasn't a particularly creative show. Uh, every show ended the exact same way, and it's like you knew it was coming, but you still loved it. Um, and so Matlock would come out in the courtroom wearing his white suit, his little cute Southern drawl. And he'd be defending some accused murderer. And he'd get someone on the witness stand. And they'd always, you know, start with a little cute back and forth or laughing together. The southern drawl is kind of pulling you in. And then uh, Matlock, he starts getting more direct with his questions. And you realize, Matlock knows something no one else knows. And the witness on the stand is the murderer. And Matlock, he just asks these perfect questions and, and more and more. until finally, like, the witness just confesses. And it's clear to everyone this guy's the murderer, Matlock's defendant is not guilty, and that's the end of the show. And every single show, that's exactly what happened. So it wasn't creative, it wasn't unique, but I loved it. And it was like, that. I want to do that, I want to be a lawyer. And, and that's probably why, uh, it was about junior year in high school, I started taking my Christianity seriously. And I, I, most of my friends were not Christians, so I had burden just to, to, uh, to see them come to Christ. And I decided, like, I'm going to be a Matlock for Jesus. And maybe not the white suit, because that would be a little creepy on me, but uh, I wanted to, like, argue people into the Christian faith and ask them questions. And so I read these really dense apologetic books and, you know, would try to trap them and get them in the right. And I, here's what I found about that. Um, it never worked. It never worked. And uh, for, I think, one reason, and that is, well, many reasons probably, but at least for our text today, is, is as Christians, the, the Bible does not describe us as, as lawyers, uh, we are witnesses, not lawyers, and you see that come out with Paul uh, here. First of all, just very practically, he's a witness trying to defend his own life. Here, that if if you remember where we've been over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Uh, Two weeks ago, Paul got on a boat and began to head to Jerusalem. Last week, we kind of looked at that journey, but his expectation was that once he got to Jerusalem, he would begin preaching the gospel. That would lead to his arrest and persecution. And and so what that meant is, is, is now Paul has arrived in Jerusalem. We're kind of skipping over the chapters where he preached and got arrested. Now he's been arrested He already has been questioned by one Roman leader named Festus. You heard him mentioned at the end of Acts 26. Festus doesn't know what to do with Paul because, on the one hand, Paul feels like a really good citizen. On the other hand, people want to kill him. And it's like, he doesn't get it. And so he calls in King Agrippa, another Roman leader, but who is a Jewish Roman leader who understands the Jewish people a little bit better. So he calls Agrippa in to say, Agrippa, sort this out. These people want to kill Paul. He seems like a normal guy to me. You figure this out. And so Agrippa calls Paul into his presence, and Paul now is going to give a defense before Agrippa. But he's, he's giving defense not as a lawyer, but as a witness. And in fact, when Paul lays out to um, Agrippa who he is, he uses the word witness. I'm a witness. And this morning, I, like, I just want to make the basic point that if you are a Christian, you are a witness. To be a Christian is to be someone who is to bear witness to Jesus. And so that meant one thing for Paul, but there are certain things we can look at with Paul's story and say, oh, that's true for us as well. And that's what I want to do. What does it mean to be a witness? Um, What does it mean as a church, to be a church sent into the world to bear witness? Um, Well, a few things. First, uh, we witness to our experience of Jesus, and that's where Paul starts. He starts with his life experience to Agrippa. And, he, uh, and and one thing that's probably true of Agrippa is not just that he was Jewish, but he had some connection to the Pharisee party. Um, and I'll get into that why later. But Paul starts there. He starts, I was a Pharisee. And I was very serious about that. And you can ask anyone in Jerusalem. They will tell you I was a serious Pharisee. I took, I took my Jewish faith incredibly serious. And to be a Pharisee meant you had a whole lot more rules to follow, a whole lot more religious practice to follow. Paul was very serious about his Jewish Faith, So serious in verse 9, um, Paul says that this, he says, I myself was convinced that, that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus. So it's not just that Paul was a committed Pharisee, but like he also saw the church exploding in growth. And he's like, this isn't faithful to Judaism. I need to get rid of it. I need to, to tamp it down. And so Paul says, that's what I was trying to do. And then I was on the road to Damascus to do this, to persecute more Christians and then, uh, then I got matlocked, right? Jesus cornered Paul, trapped him, and made him a Christian, right? And Paul summarizes this experience with Jesus he has in verse 18 through the words of Jesus that Jesus spoke to Paul. And, and in verse 18, Paul says, listen, this is my encounter with Jesus. And Jesus said, he says to Paul, Paul, I'm going to send you into all the world to open their eyes, so that they may, they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Let me break down Paul's Paul experience of Jesus and he, he breaks it down in two ways. I mean there's lots more ways you could break it down but the two I want to focus on this morning in that verse are, are Paul's experience of Jesus Encountered two things. One is forgiveness. That when you encounter Jesus, you encounter forgiveness. And that's something that's, I think, hard for our culture to even think any of us need. That we all are flawed and broken. We're unclean. There's something not right with us. It's obvious to us that like something's wrong with Paul. Like he's he's like persecuting religious people. We all know that's wrong. It's not right to like, kill someone for the religion they practice, no matter what that religion is. That's wrong. Paul's a, like, a bad person for doing it. It's, hard. it's not hard for us to say, that guy needs forgiveness, but for us. In a culture that says continually, you are, you are right just the way you are, and there's nothing wrong with you. And that idea makes it really hard to think that, that actually there's a distance between us and God. We, we're, like, we're flawed. We need forgiven. We need healed. But that hasn't always been true in the church. And I'm right now, I'm, I'm rereading um, a book that's been, been really important to me through my own Christian life. Uh, a, a Christian named Augustine, who lived in the fourth century, wrote It's called Confessions. And in that, he gives an account as a teenager of that he, he stole some pears as a teenager with a bunch of his friends. Which to us would all sound like, okay, what's the big deal? But to August, Augustine, as he reflects on this, probably has the deepest, most powerful reflection of Christian sin ever written because of this event. Um, the proof of that being that it's the most, like, one of the most read books in all of history and that uh, it's considered the best spiritual biography ever written, um, even by non-Christians. And, and so he has this guy. He just steals some pears as a teenager, and he reflects on it. And he, he just reflects on his heart why he did that. And here's what he writes. This is, this is, this is about stealing pears as a teenager, Okay. For some context, here's what he writes. It was foul, and I loved it. I loved my own undoing. I loved my error. Not that for which I erred, but the error itself. A depraved soul falling away from security in you to destruction in itself, seeking nothing from the shameful deed but the shame itself. Now, in our cultural context, we're like, that guy's got an overactive... Gill complex, it's pears. Lighten up, right? But what, what he's saying is, no, 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 no. no. I, t- I took those pears. I wasn't hungry. I don't even like pears. Uh, and then we threw them to pigs. So I took from my neighbor something I didn't want, and I threw it away as, as trash. And what he, what he, as he reflects on that, what he says is, I loved doing this meaningful, terrible thing. I loved it. And what's just stealing pears is actually a sign of a a deeply wounded and broken human heart. And most of us probably don't get to that level of reflection of why we act the way we act from time to time. And yet, if you encounter Jesus as he really is, you, you see, we see who we aren't. Like, read the Gospels, and Jesus just operates on a completely different wavelength than any of us. It's really hard for most people that that I encounter, including myself, to forgive. And yet Jesus forgave people while they were murdering him. Like he's on the cross being murdered and he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. What kind of guy can do that? Or think of his friends. On the night Jesus died, he asked his friends to pray pray for him. Jesus is over like sweating out blood. His friends are sleeping. And Jesus goes, he wakes him up. Hey, can, I need you to wake up. I need you to pray for me. Um, and they fall asleep again. And yet, Jesus didn't abandon his friends, didn't look at them and say, What? They're spiritually worthless. Forget it. No, he went and he went to a cross for them. I mean, you just read about Jesus' life through the Gospels, and he's just completely different than us. And if you encounter him, you find in him a person that is nothing like, like you, nothing like me. And when you experience him, you see, you're, you see the gap. And this need of forgiveness, that, that we are not who we are supposed to be. And we see Jesus is in a different category than us. And yet, even though he's in a different category than us, he's still willing to forgive everything we've done. He's still willing to welcome us into his... Even though he, he owes us nothing... And he lives life completely perfect and nothing like us. He still he invites us into his family. He offers us forgiveness. And if you've encountered Jesus, you've encountered that forgiveness, that grace, that mercy, that kindness. And Paul had done that. Paul had encountered that forgiveness, and now he's ready to give it to the world. So that, that's if you've encountered Jesus, you've encountered like forgiveness in a real powerful way. But Secondly, you you encounter transformation, and Paul. At the end of verse 18, he uses this word uh, that Jesus says to him, sanctify. That Jesus is sending him to sanctify people by faith in, in Christ. And the word sanctify is just a churchy word that means change or transformation. And that if you encounter Jesus, your life is going to be different. And, and Paul's life is clearly different. He goes from church destroyer to church planter in basically one encounter with Jesus. His life has changed. And if, you're, if you've encountered Jesus, your life <clears throat> will, will change. And I don't feel like I have to, to, to like spend too much time on that point, but more just to ask the question, why, how is your life different because of Jesus? How have you changed in the last year because of, of Jesus? And even to bring us back to the beginning, what, where I want us to think about this morning is not that we are lawyers for Jesus who have learned certain facts that we know to be true, and we're going to convince other people that, listen, that's important But that is not primarily who we are. We are primarily witnesses to who Jesus is and what he has done. And the most compelling witness to Jesus, it will never be something you've read in a book that you're going to tell someone else. It's always going to be the encounter of forgiveness you've had with Jesus, the way he's changed your life. This past week, I spent the week uh, at a, a church planning um, assessment center. That uh, I went through that a few years ago. This week, uh, we put, uh, put Naya through that because that's where, where she's discerning if that's her long-term uh, call. And, and so as a part of my role there, I was just assessing uh, the different candidates. And, and one of the things that we, that we noticed as assessors very quickly is there were kind of two categories of, of, of people. And, um, and, and so you'd hear pitches about church planning and why we should plant the church and why you should support me and those sorts of things. And what we found was... There were a lot of, like, pastors, Christians, who never talked about Jesus. They talked about the church and, like, what the church can do and what the church can be about, but they never talked about, like, Jesus. And, like, listen, for all of us, that is the danger, that slowly, like, we have, we have a religion, and we have something we do on the weekends, and we have something we believe, but we have no encounter with Jesus, out of which we're trying to live, out of which we're, we're trying to do life. And if you don't have an encounter with Jesus, it's really hard to be a witness to him. And so that's where we start, is we, we need to be witnesses to Jesus. And just even like a practical side, our culture is very skeptical of like truth claims. So to go and say, Jesus rose from the dead, and I can show you evidence to prove that's true, that's important, and that's good, that's all very helpful to me especially, but but our culture is very skeptical of those things. What our culture is not skeptical of is personal narratives. And if you were to go and say, like, listen, you can try the truth, claims. they're probably not going to work. But if you can say, listen, I've encountered Jesus. This is what it's meant for me. That's far more powerful of a witness than to do what I did, which is, you know, to put on the white suit, try to be Matlock, and ask questions, and get people into the corner. It's not going to work. And it's not what Paul is doing here. Paul is saying, listen, Agrippa, you want to make sense of me, you have to make sense of this. I was, I was destroying churches. And now I am am planting them, and I am all in for Jesus. Explain that, Agrippa, other than the fact I've encountered Jesus. So we're witnesses to Jesus first. That's point one. Uh, Point two, then, is as witnesses, we need need to understand who's listening, who's listening to what witness we're bearing. And, And what happens, Paul's conversion narrative, it's repeated three times in the book of Acts. And each time, it's a little bit of a different Approach, And the reason is because Paul is going to highlight certain things depending on who he is speaking to. And so here he's speaking to Agrippa, and Agrippa has clear understanding of Jewish customs. He probably had some affiliation with the Pharisee party because Paul Paul basically hits two drums over and over and over again about trying to get Agrippa into becoming a Christian. Two things that Agrippa would have already believed. First, Paul mentions twice the resurrection. So in verse 8, Paul's like, Agrippa, why is it so hard for everyone to believe in a resurrection? And the reason he asked that question is probably because Agrippa was a part of the Pharisee party in some way. And the Pharisees, their, one of their core beliefs was resurrection from the dead. And so Paul's like, Agrippa, like, you believe this. Like, I'm just saying the thing that you believe actually happened in Jesus. Why is that so hard? Why is it such a stretch? And so Paul mentions the resurrection a couple of times, tailoring his message to his, his listener. But secondly, he talks about, listen, all, I, all that I'm doing is is saying what Moses and the prophets in the Hebrew Scriptures said from the beginning. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that. Agrippa, you already believe that, and Jesus is the truth behind that. Just believe what you already believe, essentially, is what he says to Agrippa. And so Paul's Paul's personal narrative, he's bearing witness about what Jesus has done in his life, is directed specifically to Agrippa to, to bear witness. That when you, when you talk about Jesus with others, you, like, you need to know who's listening. Because what you say matters depending on their story, their experience. And, and to illustrate that, uh, I was listening to, a, or watching a, a comedy special on Netflix uh, a few weeks ago. It was the comedian John Mullaney. And there was this part of the, the show where um, he talked about in college, he had, um, he had a group of friends he was a part of, and a couple of his friends like, destroyed some property. They were, they were guilty of it. And there was just this long, drawn-out lawsuit um, because of the fact that uh, that the, they were guilty of the property damage, and so now many years later, his friend lets him know, "Hey, just so you know, all of my emails uh, are being uh, looked at and have been subpoenaed, and so uh, and there's emails from you as a part of that subpoena that are gonna gonna be a part of that." And John's like, "Okay, does that matter? Should I be concerned?" And he's like, "Yeah, you should be a little concerned," um, and that was because kind of while they were in college, in the midst of these people trying to sue his friends for property damage. John, uh, he wrote this email with his hearers being a friend of his in college, but he wrote this, this email. Um, hey, do you want me to kill that guy for you? Because it sounds like he's terrible, and I will totally kill that guy for you. See you in improv practice. <clears throat> now, in an email to a friend, that's a lame joke. When that's read in a court of law... Like that, there are different listeners to that email uh, now. And, and so what you say, like it matters who is listening. And oftentimes I've heard Christians share the gospel in a way that is as tone deaf as that email would be in a court of law with no concern of who is on the other side of the table, of who's listening. And so how do we do that? How do we understand better who's listening to us as we share the gospel? And, and there's, I want to say two things about that. First is that if you're going to share the God, if you're going to bear witness to Jesus in a way um, that is is understanding of who's listening, the first thing you have to do is you have to see you have to see their story from their point of view. If you get up from your chair, you have to go around the table and you have to see their story from their point of view. You have to get into their shoes. Um, the one thing I do as as a part of my workflow here, is from time to time, I'll go and visit people at their their workplace. It's helpful to me to understand, uh, you know, just what your life is like, to make sure my preaching isn't, like, uh, super irrelevant to what your daily life is. Um, that's one thing I felt when I uh, spent three years uh, working out of the church uh, while I was in seminary. I felt how disconnected preaching is often from, like, real life uh, problems. So, I, and I, listen, this is something we always have to get better at as, as preachers. So, when I was with... Uh, I was with someone who, who attends here at, at their workplace and, and it was really interesting because his work is pretty unique uh, and the organization he's a part of has people who are multimillionaires and people who are on the lower end of the socioeconomic uh, background. It has people from um, inner city, different race, uh, all the way to people from the suburbs or from a wealthy, uh, wealthier background. I mean, just all con- like basically different race, different socioeconomic class. I mean, everyone works there. And he was speaking to a, gr- a group of interns at the... Um, at, the, at, the, at his work. And, and the, where he started with them was, if you want to be effective in your work, you need to develop the skill of empathetic listening. And, and you need to listen and understand and get into the shoes of, of the person you're listening to in order to, like, actually be in a relationship with them, actually to, to, to know them. And, and as he shared that and made sense to it? Because when I've been with him in his work, it's like I see all of these different types of people. Trust him, interact with him, lean on him in unique ways. And, and according to him, it's all because his first skill before anything else is listening. And of course, like if you believe in Jesus, if you're, like that's core to our gospel message, is that God did not look at us from heaven and throw down the five keys to salvation at us. He, he sent his son who became flesh and dwelt among us. That's John 1 14 And I love the way Eugene Peterson translates John 1 14 in the message. It says, Jesus moved into our neighborhood. In other, like, in other words, like Jesus didn't just come to preach at us. He came to understand. If you read through the Gospels, you, you see Jesus listening as much as speaking and asking questions as much as giving directions. We have to, in order to bear witness to our neighbors, to who Jesus is, we have to be able to see life from their perspective and be able to speak the Gospel from their perspective. So that's one. The second uh if we're going to understand our listeners and bear witness, is secondly, is our neighbors have to see how easily Jesus' story can become their own story. See how easily Jesus' story can become their own story. And I'll like, speak from my experience. One of the reasons why growing up in church it was hard for me to become a Christian is because everyone older than me, I, like, I could not see my life like, like that. Or like living my life like that. It's just, it's, there was just a disconnect between... Um, how I wanted to live my life and how Christianity was. Now, some of that was sin, but some of that was like, it was just like people were different as, as Christians. And so to illustrate this, like most of my family uh, is not, you know, from not from a Christian background. So I was at my family reunion a couple weeks ago, and, and most of my dad's side of the family uh, thinks it's just hilarious that I'm a pastor, and they just don't know what to do with that. Um, and so my cousin Kelly, uh, she said to me, you know, kind of offhand, and she's like, hey, me and my husband, we're going to drive down sometime, and we got—we're gonna come to your church because we just gotta see what that's like. And I was like, "Well, you know, what do you mean by that?" It's like I just, you as a pastor—I just gotta see that, because for her, like for her, you know, one is she has a very specific view of like what a pastor is, and I do not meet that expectation on any level whatsoever. Um, and and second is she, I think part of it is she sees me as someone who's a part of her family, it's pretty normal, just a little different in some ways. And it's like, I want, that's confusing to me. And I think a lot of times the way Christianity gets lived out just becomes very disconnected from the world. And people feel like, in order to become a Christian, I have to leave real life. Or I have to disconnect myself from reality. And, and there's not this sense, like, in other words, as people encounter you if you're a Christian, they should be able to say, oh, like, being a Christian isn't that different than how I am now. Just with Jesus in charge of everything, which obviously creates some difference, but like it doesn't mean doesn't mean we wear white robes to church. It doesn't mean um, that we do weird. Th- like it's we're just we're just people who live in Kansas who also follow Jesus, and it means different things for us. But as people see our lives, they should see a clarity and a credibility to if I became a Christian, this is what it would look like. And so to bear witness to Jesus means we have to do so in a way that our listener will understand. Um, and it means, first, you have to get out of your shoes and get into theirs. Um, and secondly, it means they need to see in you what being a Christian would look like, like for them. And here's the promise I'll make you. If you work hard, at the, at even the even at the first point, at getting into other people's shoes and understanding the gospel from their perspective, I promise you one thing will begin to happen for you, and that is... The burden you feel for Jesus, for them to have Jesus and know Jesus, will grow. But when, as Christians, we just sort of stay distant and we just we just dump truth on people, we don't have a, we just we may want them to become Christians, but we don't feel the burden. When you get into someone's shoes and you begin to see life the way they see life, you just you want Jesus for them in a way that you can. When you're trying to be matlock, and that's point three is. You know, we want to bear witness, to, we want to understand our listeners, we want to bear witness to what Jesus has done for us personally, and thirdly, to be a witness means you want Jesus for everybody. My favorite verses in all of this passage are is the last two. When a group is like, like Paul, like I'm the king, like I'm, I'm, I run the show here, and I can kill you, and you're trying to make me a Christian, I mean, you almost sense like he's laughing at Paul a bit here, like are you going to convert me, like is that what you're trying to do? And Paul says, yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. Paul says this. He says, whether short or long, I would to God, that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become as such as I am, except these chains. What Paul is saying is, is, Agrippa, I do want you to become a Christian, and I want you to follow Jesus. I just don't want you to be arrested. It's the only thing I don't want for you. And what's a, what should be powerful about this to us is, is Paul, Paul is in prison. He's, his life is in danger. And his primary concern is, is he wants to baptize Agrippa. It's like, Paul, dude, I think you're misunderstanding the nature of the circumstances here. Right? And Paul, he's just oblivious to that. He wants Agrippa to meet Jesus. And I would just, uh, this is where I want to close. And it, this will be more than a few, oh, this will be a few minutes, so don't hear it like, we're not moving into the very end. But, but I want us to close by, by reflecting on this question, which is, do you want Jesus just for you or do you want him for everybody? Do you want Jesus for everybody? One of the side moments at uh, the church planner place I was at this weekend was, was with one of the assessors. And he told me that his, his first experience at a church he went, he sat down in some seats, and a couple minutes before service, another couple came up to him and, and tapped him on his shoulder. His wife was sitting next to him, and, and the guy tapped him on the shoulder, and he says, hey, uh, you're sitting in my seat. And the guy was like, like, didn't know what to do with that, and it was clear what he was supposed to do with that, which was to get out of that seat. Um, so he did, and the people sat in their seats, and and then his wife, like, kind of hung back, and, uh, and we're like, you know, we don't want to sit in someone else's seats. And, like, what, how does this? And, and, what's, and listen, this is, a, to me, like, a really great summary story of what happens often to churches, which is the whole point of church is that one day someone will sit in your seat that you don't know. And please, if they do, do not tell them that is your seat. <laughs> Maybe instead ask them their name story and yeah it's easy for us to laugh because we don't have I don't think we have that culture I don't I'd be I'd be stunned if anyone at this church did this mostly because it's like we're in a middle school it's like nobody's got any seats here you know it's it's just how we roll Um, but I and yet we can do that in in figurative ways or not literal seats but we we have our we have our niche in the community carved out and no one else can come in and the whole point of church is that we have a burden for other people to encounter and to meet Jesus who has forgiven us and who has changed our lives. And do you want that? How much of your time is devoted to, to non-Christian neighbors or family or friends? How much of, of your spirit here is that, that you found your community, it's closed network. And you haven't met anyone new at our, our church in the last several months. Because here's an interesting fact. We're about, from launch day to today, we're about 55, 60% new people here. Who do you know that you didn't know? And so do you want Jesus just for you or for everybody? And how do we increase our hearts towards towards others? And and here's the deal. This isn't like a, here's how we become evangelistic church sermon. That's not it. I actually, we just got to go back to point one, which is we, you can never get there unless your life is lived out of an experience of Jesus. And the fuel for your life and your, your, your faith is that Jesus has forgiven you and is making you whole and is changing your life. And that's the most important thing about you. And you'll never get to a place of a burden for those who are lost unless that is the, the spring from which all of your life is lived, is lived from an experience with Jesus. And that's what you need to increase. Whether that means in, you know strengthening your prayer and devotional life, quiet times during the week. Whether that means, probably for all of us, more regular engagement in church worship and hearing the gospel preached to you and singing it together and taking communion together. It means engagement in community groups where you have a group of people praying for you and encouraging you. you. All of us need continued and, 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 and constant experiences of Jesus. And if we are to, to be a church that gains a heart for those outside of our walls, it will be not because we have really great strategy. It will be because all of us are living out of this experience with Jesus. That I believe our burden for those who don't know Jesus to meet Jesus is directly tied to how much of our life is lived out of an experience of Jesus. And so if you're not living with any experience of Jesus' forgiveness or life change, then, like, you, like you're, you know, talking about Jesus is going to feel like selling something that you're not even experiencing or believe in. At least that, that's true, true for me. And that for a long portion of my life, I've, I've lived pretty self-sufficiently, and Jesus was, like, a really great weekend hobby. And I believed it, like, believed it with all my life. It's um, true, but it's, like, not, it's not until Jesus is, like, the one rope you have in life that like, actually like, doesn't break when it gets tested with, with all the weight you can put on it. It's only then, probably, <laughs> that you begin to want Jesus so desperately for other people. And if that's not like, the, the experience out of which your life is, is lived, then probably it's hard to have a burden for those who don't know Jesus. And now that that's sort of where my life is, is lived, that burden has increased, not because of anything I've done, but because of, of the experience God has put me me through. And, and, and just to speak real for a minute, as, as a church, we have a lot of strengths. Christ community has a lot of strengths. But one of our weaknesses is, is our witness towards non-Christian neighbors or friends or family. We have a long way to go here. And I especially have a long way to go in leading here. Like I said, that's probably, probably two years ago. I, didn't, I, I had that burden. I wanted people to meet Jesus, but not, not, like, not like Paul. <laughs> Right, where it's like grip it, you can kill me, that's fine. Either you're killing me or I'm baptizing you. Your vote, right? Like that's that's where he's at, and that's that's where we need to get as as a church. And and the answer, where do we start there? The answer is not, you know, a class on evangelism. That probably it would be helpful, but that's not where we start. The answer is not a bunch of outreach events, like that that might be helpful. Let me just let me encourage you with two places to start. One is gonna feel super nitpicky, but I we're going to do it. Um, and the other is what I already said. And the, the nitpicky one is probably the best way you can help engage people who aren't Christians, who don't have Christian community, is to come to church early. Please don't shoot me if you have a, a weapon. Because um, here's the deal. If you come late, like, that's, I don't care. Like, I don't care. But anyone who's new doesn't get to talk to you and doesn't get to experience you. And, and what coming late, I think says more than anything else is, is I've got my community and I've got my, this is my deal. I'm coming for, for me. And if there's anyone new, you, if you're late, you don't have the space to engage them, to meet them, to ask them their name, to ask them their story, to tell them that you're glad they're, they're here coming. You have to come early to do that. And if you want to cultivate a heart for other people, that's probably the best place to start now that I've completely offended you. Um, and I'm late to stuff too. All right. Like there's plenty of grace, plenty of forgiveness. Um, but I, like, I mean that. I, I genuinely mean that. Um, the best time to engage new people is five minutes before service starts. Um, but the second thing I say, and this is what I already say, I already said, is the only way that you and I will ever increase our desire for, for everybody to have Jesus is, is if you want Jesus more and more for yourself. Not as a weekend hobby, but as the encounter out of which you live your entire in life. And, and listen, I know Paul, like, Paul's got one up on us. Like He got... He got blinded and like, a dramatic experience with Jesus. My guess is probably none of you have had that sort of experience. And maybe that's why belief is hard for you or why you don't believe or why faith is hard. You've not had those experiences with, with God. And let me just say, like, I understand that. That's a tension for me as well. Like, I want experiences like that. I, I rarely have them. And yet, what we know to be true in the gospel is that even if you and I have not had an experience like that, it is not out of a lack of desire of God to pursue us. Because the story of the gospel is that God gave us his own son, not to shout at us from heaven, but to enter into our world, to move into our neighborhood, to understand us, to forgive us, right? To make us whole, to change us into the people we know that we could be, and to to change us out of the people we are tired of being, Right, like God gave us His own Son to do that. He has pursued us. He even gave us His Son on a cross. And so, listen: if your experience of God is feels distant, read the Gospels and see Jesus coming after you with everything He has. That God is pursuing you. Are you listening? Are you open? That let God blind you with His light, knock you down forgive your sins, make you into what you could never be on your own, and then let us as a church go tell the world. Let's pray. Father, we, we want to live, at least I want to live, out of a personal encounter with Jesus, where daily I experience his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy and his kindness where daily I see parts of my life that just look different now because I know him, and he knows me, and he's saving me. And so, Lord, now we just want to open up space in this service for people to encounter Jesus. We can't, like, we can't facilitate that as a church, but we know that Jesus promises to be present through communion and through your church gathered, and so we open this space up now for Jesus to come in and encounter us. God, would you give us open hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.